Okay, if you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, as we look this uh, morning at, uh, for a child will be born to us, talking about the incarnation, a son will be given to us. It's talking about the deity of Christ, uh, God sending his son to die on the cross for our sins, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and we'll come back to that in just a few moments, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity once again. And Lord, we just pray for your grace, his sufficiency to work in our midst, to work in our lives, to work in our hearts, our minds, to allow us to see the things that you would have us to see. That will strengthen us, encourage us, convict us, challenge us, whatever you see that needs to be done in our life. And I pray that we'll go away rejoicing because we've certainly worshipped you and met you in a very special, unique, powerful way. Because we've allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We need to be serious about seeking God's counsel. We looked at the, uh, the, uh, the names uh, earlier this morning, and uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And we, uh, as we look at this, there is a seriousness about seeking his counsel in all that we do. If we want God's will, then we need to be wholehearted and search for him in all that we do. And so first, there needs to be a searching, as we talked about. There needs to be a, an accepting, and there needs to be uh, an obeying or applying it. And so with any counsel, we seek out wise counsel for a reason. And that reason is seeing it work, not fail. We want to see the counsel work and not fail in the same way with God. That is the kind of counsel the Lord Jesus get, is and counselor he is and the kind of counsel that he gives remember God wants to bless us and make our Christian life successful now I mean successful as we talked about this morning in our walk with him he said in Jeremiah 29 11, I know the plans I have for you says the Lord they are not plans to harm you but to prosper you to give you a hope and to give you a future so this child that was uh, given to us this this uh, this child that was uh, born to us this uh, uh, this baby that came in a manger then we need to uh, recognize that he came for a reason and that was God we we need to know that God is is not a God who is against us he wants to help us succeed in our Christian walk he wants us to become Christians first of all and to be believers in him, and then to succeed in our Christian walk. And that's why he's uh, the counselor and wonderful counselor that he is. Now then, it, next it, it predicts that he not only will be a wonderful and counselor or a wonderful counselor, it says that his name will be Mighty God. And this clearly, clearly tells us of his deity. The Hebrew word for Mighty God is El Gabor. G-I-B-B-O-R. And it's traditional name for God. And so Moses used, Moses used it in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. 
Jeremiah used it in Jeremiah 32, 18. Nehemiah used this word in Nehemiah 9, 32. And David used it in Psalm 24, 8. So this is clearly calling Jesus God. But some people want to say, no, it's not, because it also means hero of strength. And you say, well, God can be, he's our hero of strength. Yes, he is. But uh, it's used as mighty God here, because if you go over to chapter 10, the next chapter in verses 20 and 21, uh, Isaiah uh, mentions him using the same phrase as mighty God. And so in this context, it's used as mighty God. Now, it says, now in that day, the, the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob who had escaped captivity, uh, they were willing to rely on the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. And the remnant would return, he says, and the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God in verse 21. The, uh, the mighty God was able to meet the needs of the people of Israel if they would just repent and rely upon him for their, uh, their needs, to supply those needs that they needed. Uh, but they were going their self-righteous uh, way, or their, uh, their, they weren't righteous, but it was a self type of righteousness. They were living their life the way that they wanted to, and so in turn, uh, they were being led into captivity. And, uh, but there was a remnant, and he was letting us know of this. And uh, this Jesus is mighty God. Uh, he's, we go to the New Testament. We've been studying about him in Matthew, and what does it say? It, that tells us that he's able to meet our needs. He uh, helped the lame people walk. He uh, Blind people were able to see, and demon-possessed people were delivered from demons, and dead people were even raised from the dead. And uh, we also see the story of him walking on the water, and even through closed doors as a res resurrected Lord. And he showed all the mighty power of God in him. And so both his friends and his enemies were amazed. So he was even raised from the grave. We know that. And we celebrate that on Easter. So death could not hold him. In John 10, 18, Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down, and I have the power to raise it up again. That's awesome. Only God can do that. So he is the eternal God. God is not just, I mean, he's not just a gracious teacher, but almighty God. He's not just a moral man, but mighty, almighty God. And he's not just a good example, but almighty God. That's who Jesus is. And it's because of that that Paul came to find out that, that he was able to do all things through Christ who strengthened him. He said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. So he was the mighty God to him, the awesome God. We believers can do all things, he tells us, through Christ who strengthens us. If we believe that then, why though is there a lack in our life? Why is there unmet dreams in our life? Well, there's a few reasons, but one reason is because, I guess you could say, our lack of faith at times. And another is because of the things we ask for. 
Uh, I believe God wants to meet our needs, and I think that you do too, whether financial, mental, or physical, uh, job loss, depression, family, uh, you know, uh, whatever it might be in whatever area, he desires to help us and to meet our needs. He uh, meets our needs in one of two ways. And one way is God will meet our needs by pouring out his grace and enduring ability in our lives so that in the midst of the tremendous uh, need that we have that's going on in our life, we can experience that grace in a unique and powerful way and be a tremendous testimony to others. An example of this was with Paul. He asked that his thorn be removed three times, didn't he? And whatever that thorn was, he asked God three different times for him to remove it. But God said no. You see, God did not want him to become self-sufficient or prideful. He didn't want the glory that was due to him to go uh, to Paul. And so in turn, it's when we are broken and our disability is evident that the glory goes to God. And this is why a lot of times when we, you know, are going through problems and we want the immediate results, we don't get the immediate results, do we? And one of the reasons is because he wants us, number one, to be dependent upon him. He wants us to be in that desperate state where we know that the grace comes from him. And he'll go to him. The glory will when we... Uh, are delivered or when we make it in the midst of the trial that we're going through and then number two he wants us not only to realize that but us by faith to continually be dependent upon him because we are not to be self-sufficient in anything just like the situation with Paul and so sometimes God meets our needs uh, not with a healthy body or um, a new job or a bunch of money to get out of a certain predicament. You know, you, you get into a financial situation, stressed out, and you say, God, send us some money some way or another. Well, uh, sometimes God meets our needs with his mighty grace and love that changes us and our attitudes on the inside. And that's what he, you know, that's what he's working on. He wants us to become what? More Christ-like, doesn't he? And so um, where our testimony to those around us are touching is when they see God glory through us. And they see a change in our life. And they say, man, how in the world, where do you get that strength in the midst of all the trouble and difficulties that you're going through? And you say, now you don't have to say, man, I think we can even be prideful in that by saying, well, God's helping me through it, you know. And, and we take, we're really taking the uh, credit basically behind the scenes, uh, you know, subconsciously type thing. When in reality, we need to let people know, hey, it's a struggle. It's difficult. And it's a struggle to turn it over to God on a consistent basis and this is what I'm finding that God is helping me do is turn my needs and my problems over to him on a consistent basis because 
I want to take it away and do it myself so often. And I want it instantly so often. And a lot of times I, I want to act a certain way when really deep down I'm hurting. And I don't want anybody to see it because I'm afraid that they won't understand at that time that I'm struggling but I'm still depending on God. I know that that grace comes from Him. It's only from God Almighty. And if God has a thorn to remain with us, then we can be sure that he also has a desire to meet the need that we have by giving us the confidence in him, the joy that only can come by trusting in him, and the hope that lies within him, and the patience to endure it during that time. Sometimes, though, he meets our needs according to our faith. Now, this is some, sometimes this is a problem that we have as theologians. And I know that reformers probably would have a little bit of problem with this and with what I'm about to say. But I think that faith is a vehicle to release the power of God in our lives. I think God uses that. And I know God's sovereign, and I don't understand everything about how he works. I'll tell you up front. I'm not one of these theologians that pretends to know everything about how he works. I don't. I'm not even a theologian. <laughs> but I want to tell you, in one place in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus all the sick were brought to Jesus, and those that were brought to Jesus reached out to him, and he did what? He healed them. He wants, there are times in our life, I believe with all my heart, that he meets our needs according to our faith. And he's made it that way. I mean, it's not that it's, it slips up on him or he's just waiting on it. He's made it that way. I believe that sometimes we just don't believe God can and will take care of our problems. We believe in our minds, but not in our hearts. We don't reach out in faith. I'm, you know, and I'm not talking about physical healing here. I'm, I'm talking about our needs. It may be our, with our marriage. It may be... Our job situation, it may be a problem at school, whatever it is. Sometimes I believe we just don't reach out to God with our problems in faith. Man, you read some of the books about some of these missionaries and the faith that they had. They reached out in faith. You read about a lot of the disciples and the work that went on and, and the people that were saved and the faith that, came, uh, that was there that was evident when they reached out. We may practice. Now, this, this is a cop-out sometimes, but it's, it's not all the time. It's okay to pray this way. I pray it at times, but a lot of times we may pray and tack on the end of our prayers what? If it be thy will. There's nothing wrong about praying that way, not knowing how or what God might do. But there is a problem that comes at times. And the problem comes when we pray that way and we really don't trust God with the problem. God's trying to teach us something and that teaching us something is to really 
trust him with the problem. With the need. The phrase, if it is your will, can easily become a what? A safety net. That's it. And we need, you know, we can pray it and use it, but don't let it become a safety net just because you're not willing to continue to pray and reach out in faith. Sometimes God wants us to do that, teaching us things along that line. God Almighty is not a limited God. He cares about us and desires to provide for us. Now, this is not... Let me also make clear this is not trying to manipulate God into doing something against his will. I mean, he won't allow that. And so if we continue to pray by faith and, and, you know, lay claim of it, I'm not talking about that. We're, We're not overpowering God. I'm saying sometimes God would have us pray that way for our faith to be stretched in him. Remember to guard against the theology that all we have to do is name it and claim it. That's not what I'm saying. And the other side of the coin is not to persist before God with our need and to cop out by just saying, in thy will. We need to allow God to show us in our heart if we need to continue on. If God is trying to teach us something and that something deals with our faith with him. You remember the Syrophoenician woman who was basically called a dog you remember when he said about the crumbs uh i mean she said about the crumbs well you know even the dogs eat the crumbs you know and he was talking about feeding what israel and she was a a gentile woman and but she persisted in this and she said even you know uh the dogs are fed in other words hey please heal my daughter She is demon-possessed, unclean spirit. And God honored that. He wanted her to persist in this, to persist in placing her faith in him and laying hold of him in the sense of not making him change his mind, but seeing that he was a true source. Not some other source, not some faith healer out there, but the one and only true God. Now, there was another one, the blind man who cried out to Jesus, have mercy on me, Jesus, have mercy on me, heal me. And what did the crowd say? Shh, be quiet, you know? Be quiet, hush. But the man kept on until he got what he came for. Or remember the story about the neighbor who went and knocked on his neighbor's door and woke him up, persistently knocking until he got the food. Talking about persisting in faith. And then the famous story about Jacob. You remember Jacob wrestled with the angel. Now the angel could have whipped him easily. But he what? He desired for him to lay hold of him, didn't he? Not let go. Trust in him. He knew the blessing came from him. And I think a lot of times we just take the easy route out. We don't stay on our knees long enough. We don't pray diligently. 
And what does that mean? That means that a lot of times we miss out on the blessing. We miss out on what God has for us because God is wanting us to truly, with all of our hearts, show Him that we truly believe in Him, that we trust in Him above everything else. And that's why we're going to stay on our knees praying because we believe that, that God wants to work out this situation and show His glory through it all. And so God desires for us to show our faith in Him by not just believing that he can meet our needs, but also asking until he has answered our request. You see, faith, as I said, is a vehicle to release the power of God in our lives. Now, we're not forcing God to do anything. He just desires for us to do that because we need to do that because we need to trust in him more. Then we see that he is the eternal father. His name will be called eternal father. Now how can a baby be called eternal father? This is the son of God, not the father in the Trinity. So how can he do that? How can he be called eternal father? Well, father is not referring to his position there in the Trinity, but to his authority. In other words, the concept of a Hebrew father is very important in understanding the meaning that is given here in the name of Jesus. Jesus in John 8:44 says, Satan is the father of lies. Also, he says that he is the, you know, it, it, there it's referring to the originator of lies. In other words, Satan is the source of lies, the dispenser of lies. That Satan was the original liar so to be the father is to be the originator of and Jesus went on to say wherever Satan speaks a lie he speaks from his own nature his own language so he's saying lying is not only Satan's natural domain but it's his specialty and in Revelation we're told this about Jesus Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He had conquered time. In his hand, he, you know, uh, he, he held it all eternity. And he is called, the, in, in Isaiah, the eternal father. He's, he's uh, telling us that he is the father of eternity, the creator of eternity. In other words, his specialty is everlasting life. What does he give us? He gives us everlasting life. The Messiah would be the originator and dispenser of eternal life. How does that deal with humans? Well, it deals with humans that, because we so often become frustrated with time. The delays of time frustrate us. Just be delayed. I mean, it frustrates us. The decays of life frustrates us. We know that we're going to decay. We're decaying, and one day we're going to die. And the death in life frustrates us. But for a believer, we don't have to be frustrated because we can. We know the eternal Father. We we know the uh, Father of eternity. In other words, if we're in the Lord's will. Nothing can delay us because we're going to be on God's time, right? 
And then if, if our treasures are in heaven, the decays of life don't affect them. That's where our true reward is. And three, if we are in the family of God, Jesus has the keys of life and death. He is life. And death cannot hurt him. So, what are we to do? Praise God that we know the eternal Father. As long as we are walking in God's counsel, there's nothing that can delay us. There's nothing that can distract us. And there's nothing that can stop us from doing what pleases God. So, our time is in His hands. Just like uh, with Jesus when He said, It is not yet my time. But when His time came about, what did He say? It is time. So, time need never delay us. Circumstances, they need never to delay us. Decay needs never to stop us. Jesus said, I am he that was dead and now is alive. I have the keys to death and hell. Because I live, you shall live also. So what can hold us back? You know, Eric Barker, he was a missionary for 50 years in Portugal. World War II broke out. Hostilities became fierce. He was told to send his family home. He put his wife, eight children, his sister, three children, on a vessel headed back to England. He stayed to continue his work there in the country. On Sunday, he stood before a small congregation and said, My family have just arrived home safely. It wasn't until the next week that the congregation heard that a sub torpedoed the ship and all were killed now how could he stand before his congregation and tell them that his family had arrived home safely because Jesus was their savior and he is the father of eternity you see death is really just a hiccup in our existence isn't it as the ship went over the horizon they were gone as far as he was concerned. They were gone out of their sight as far as the earth and their visibility. But as they went over the horizon, they soon arrived in the presence of the eternal Father. The Father of eternity. There they were greeted. Nothing like they would have been greeted it arriving back in England. They were greeted with shouts, with acclamation, with cheers from those who were there to welcome them. What a welcome. Turning our lives over to Jesus Christ as the Father of eternity means, as I said, nothing can decay us, nothing can delay us, nothing can really touch us, eternity awaits us and then we look at the prince of peace his name is called prince of peace i heard about a little girl that was uh on the playground and ran in, inside to the teacher and she told the teacher that there were two boys fighting outside and the one on the bottom wanted to talk to her 
he needed some relief and peace. And he knew that she could bring it. We've had, you know, we have experienced wars and rumors of wars and will continue on. We have experienced unsettledness in our life over and over again. But this tells us that we can have peace from the Prince of Peace. You see, it's speaking, first of all, in a prophetic way, it speaks primarily of when Christ will mount the throne of David and rule on earth at his second coming, second advent. The kingdom will last for a thousand years, Revelation tells us. The rule uh, that he will have will usher in the new heaven and new earth. And as the son of Mary, the descendant of the David, Christ will rule over Israel and over the whole earth as the son of man. And as the son of God, Christ will rule eternally over heaven and the entire universe. But what about now in our lives? There's unsettledness. There's a lack of peace many times. Everybody wants peace. Well, this is where we're going back to the phrase and we're going to look at Redeemer. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Now to get the, the picture of this, the story of baby Jesus did not bring peace to everyone on this earth, did he? I mean, he brought it with himself, but not everybody experiences it. Peace, you've got to find it, it's in a person. And those who believe and trust will experience this peace with God and with others. You cannot understand this phrase, and the government will rest on his shoulders unless you travel back in time to the marriage. The wedding ceremony of a Jewish couple during the days of Christ. It usually uh, went uh, a year long uh, under the betrothal period. And at the end of that, uh, during that time, the man had prepared a home for his bride. A procession would begin to form. And the journey begins at the home of the groom's father, where traditionally the groom built uh, a room onto the home where they would live. He and his bride. All the neighbors would turn out in this procession. There was singing and laughter. Relatives and friends all came from all around. And, uh, you know, there was joy and happiness following them down the street. Or this procession. And he arrived at the bride's home. And uh, out she comes in this beautiful attire. And they would travel together on their journey back to the father's house, to their room. And sometime during this, that journey, and this is where it's very important, it relates to this passage and this, this phrase here, sometime during that journey back to the father's house, she would remove the veil from her face. And what she would do is place it upon his shoulder. Now this was very important because the crowd would begin to chant a song that included words about her submission to the authority of her husband and literally her life was now, this is very important, under his submission resting on the strength of his shoulder. In the 
the same way, if you go back to this passage, this one, our wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, when we believe in Christ, we want true peace. What we do is we give the veil of our hearts to him. We place it upon his shoulder. We're the bride, aren't we? And so in turn, the Lord, the government, the leadership, the authority of our lives is now resting upon his shoulder. His omnipotent shoulder. The strength of his shoulder. We place upon him the veil of our dreams, our wishes, our wills. And in doing so, that's when we can begin to experience the depth of this song. Some of the richness of his lyrics. We find that we have surrendered to the one who is indeed wonderful who is indeed counselor, who is indeed mighty God, who is indeed eternal father, who is indeed prince of peace. We will be able to experience the all-sufficiency of God, the Son, like Eric Barker did. When we turn our lives over to this wonderful counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, delay, decay, death, we find cannot hurt us. What a child. What a son. What a Messiah. What a Redeemer. What a gift. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for